This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. That's a conversation that's evolving right now. It's how do we help agencies embrace technology, embrace modern approaches as they evolve so quickly to make the hunter's experience on the ground and the angler's experience on the ground so much more efficient and easy. That's really where the conversation is. We really want customers to know that we've got a secondary means of enjoying and recreating out there, and that's through their phone, through the internet, and it's working. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws of American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Welcome to the NWF Outdoors podcast. This is your host, Aaron Kindle. Today, I get the pleasure of two different guests from opposite sides of the country, and we're going to talk about the business of conservation, technology, how we deliver the products that we all use when we're outdoors, like our licenses and our permits and so on. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion because there's maybe a lot more there than folks realize. So today we have Sam Petter, who's the Vice President of Marketing for Terra Technology Group. And we have Steve Bergman, and Steve is the Administrator for the Administrative Services Division at the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Howdy, how are you two doing today? Doing well. Doing great, thanks for having us. You're welcome, and first I'll tell folks a little bit more about you, and then I will jump into our favorite part often, and that's where we talk about what we've been doing outside lately. So uh, first I'll talk a little bit more about Steve. As I said, he's the administrator for the Administrative Services Division for Oregon Department of Fish and Game. He's worked there the past five years, working a lot on trying to advance the department's mission through development of his own financial skill set, I guess. Is that what is that right, Steve? <laughs> I'm not sure how to phrase that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, deployment of my my financial skills to kind of further the mission of the department. Uh, and it's been a blast these past five years. Lots of change and happy to, to share about it today. Awesome. And when he's not in the office, uh, Steve is a, is a dedicated outdoorsman and spends a lot of time out there with his wife and two daughters. He's a hunter and angler. And uh, you'll learn a little bit more about Steve here in a minute. 
And then Stan, Sam, as we said, is the, uh, the newly minted vice president of marketing for Terra Technology Group. Sam, how long have you been there? I, I've known you for, for a couple of your different other roles, but you've been over at Terra for a year now? Six months. Feels like a lifetime. Six months. Okay. Before that, she was the director of business development and operations for the Council to Advance Hunting and Shooting Sports. She also had a stint with the National Shooting Sports Foundation. And she's an awesome, dedicated conservationist. She's, some folks may know her through Artemis, yeah. our awesome sportswomen's program. Uh, but we'll just jump in from there. Which one of you wants to talk about what you've been doing outside first? I'll let it, I'll let it be up to you. I'll go first. How's that, Steve? Great. Okay. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been on the podcast about three years ago. And it's always a question of like, or maybe two. But what have you been doing outside is the question that Aaron posed to me originally. And I had a great conversation with a gentleman from Kentucky today. And we swapped stories of how we've been mentoring hunters in the field. And um, part of my passion comes from like teaching people how to hunt because, you know, just being here, I want more friends to do it with me, more colleagues, more family members. So for the last couple of weekends, I've been taking friends, hunting, waterfowl and um, deer with muzzleloader in Pennsylvania. Wow, it's that time of the year. I, I call this, some folks call Christmas the most wonderful time of the year. I call <laughs> fall hunting season the most wonderful time of the year. I agree. So glad you're getting folks out, Sam. You're, you're better at it than I am, and I appreciate that you're doing that. How about you, Steve? What have you been up to? Yeah, you know, every weekend I've been getting out uh, as a weekend warrior, and uh, I've got two daughters, ages five and seven. So just recently, I took them clamming uh, along the Oregon coast at Neatarts Bay, just north of Pacific City. And so that was fun. And, uh, and then also, I've been getting out trying to scout and get ready for an upcoming elk hunt. Um, I even had a close encounter with a black bear recently at about 30 feet. It was on a time leg <laughs> staring at me. So it was character building, that's for sure. <laughs> close encounters that's of awesome. the bear kind. Yes, that's, that's close. Awesome. Well, good. Uh, I myself have been out in the field trying to find, for, for our listeners, they know that we're still trying to find my son, his first elk. We've been out a handful of days now. We've been an elk every day, still have not brought home an elk. A little bit of angst building up, but lucky to be out there. And we will be heading back out this weekend and next week some. So still just lucky to be out there. Uh, the snow's starting to stack up and not go away on the peaks here in Colorado. So that's, that's always the good sign that it is indeed the most wonderful time of the year. So good things. Um, well, like I said, today we're going to talk about the business of conservation, the business of delivering our ability to hunt and fish via licensing systems and, and delivering on conservation, uh, leveraging technology. So you two are the experts I'm just going to start with a broad overview of what the heck that means. Folks are going, hmm, there's technology involved, and I think they know, but, you know, it varies from state to state. And Steve can provide some awesome examples of what they're doing in Oregon and their, and their leaders. They're, they're really innovators in this, so we'll do that. But maybe, Sam, you can start with just a broad overview of that, that business of conservation and delivering those licenses and what that entails and help us jump into having Steve explain that. Yeah. So knowing that this is like a, a consumer facing member facing podcast uh, to put it on the landscape of importance to y'all, 
it's when you go to buy your license. And whether you be um, the fifth person in line the night before opening day of a certain season in a certain state, uh, like Whitetail in Pennsylvania, buying your license and waiting, your wait time would be impacted by this. Or you could be buying online if your state allows a fully paperless solution and, and you might not ever engage with um, a person at a, behind a counter. We're talking about that aspect of it and how that connects to the agency doing their business. Um, the case of Oregon and, and why we like, we're bringing this to the table is they figured out how to do this better. And not only that, they figured out how to do it more efficiently so that they can do more for the hunters or anglers, but also their constituents and deliver on their mission. And so just the idea of when the services that agencies provide to get people outdoors, we're talking about that and hopefully making it better in the future too. Yeah. And I think that's the, something I want to get out more than anything is, you know, why we need this, where are we going? What are the benefits? Um, and Steve, maybe you can talk, Oregon's leading the way in a lot of this and maybe you can just tell us what you're doing and then point to how this helps things, you know, for average Joe or Jane hunter angler. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, ODFW or the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife has come a long way over the past couple of years. Um, back in 2018, December of 2018, we implemented our new licensing system and it was, it's really a, a set of modern functionality that, uh, has enabled us to uh, provide new functionality to our customer base in a lot of different ways. Before we implemented this system, we were entrenched in paper. Uh, so a lot of our customers and the folks who sold licenses on our behalf, um, they would essentially purchase papers, lots and lots of paper. And then once we implemented this new uh, system at the Department of Fish and Wildlife here in Oregon, um, we transitioned a lot of our customers to the internet and online, and we went fully paperless. So we provided customers with a means to purchase a license without actually getting paper. And uh, that, that had a lot of different distinct pros and cons and a unique learning curve associated with it. Um, for one, uh, customers were asked to download an application via their Android or iPhone. Um, and so getting customers used to um, essentially pulling out their phone to show proof of their license was a, a real change. But getting away from that paper-centric environment uh, has proven to be a very uh, cost-efficient uh, means of really uh, just providing that service to our customers. And so we used to pay, I think, approximately you know, uh, $30,000 per month in, in paper at the department. Now we're paying close to just under 10,000 per month. So uh, we have saved quite a bit of money by transitioning wow. to this paperless environment, which has been great. Um, and then on top of that, uh, we've been able to leverage the, the data available in this electronic and internet-based system to further our mission and enhance our conservation and wildlife management decisions. Um, one of the things I was hoping to highlight um, recently occurred on a, some tributary management uh, for uh, steelhead and salmon populations. We have to set bag limits. And the bag limits uh, for customers have to be set so that we can maximize opportunity and recreation um, and catch rates. Um, but also we have to set them to ensure that an adequate number of fish make it back to the hatchery so that we call it brood stock so that we can um, you know, uh, work on reproduction 
So in other words, uh, we've been analyzing the data from this new electronic licensing system and uh, the biologists that are responsible for that have said that they've never had higher confidence um, in setting the bag limits where they're at. Um, and so we've actually been able to keep the bag limits at three salmon per angler in this one tributary off the Columbia uh, in Northeast Oregon, um, which has been great. Uh, and we, we normally would have uh, decreased that catch limit or that bag limit um, if it were not for the, you know, the, the data that we had access to and our ability to forecast that going forward. So it's, it's improved our ability to make, um, you know, catch and uh, wildlife management decisions. Um, and we're really excited about expanding upon this, this new platform that we've adopted. That's cool. Maybe we should talk too, because, you know, in Oregon, you're dealing with salmon and steelhead species that are, you know, maybe not as abundant as others and maybe a little bit different than just trout anglers somewhere or bass anglers. Maybe we can get into that. But first, I want to talk paperless a little bit more because I'm a little old school and I'm the kind of guy who likes, you know, a paper license in my hand. I think, you know, then I know it's real. Uh, and, and this, this you know, use of phones and, you know, I use Onyx. I, I think a lot of people do now, right? Know where you are on the ground and so on. But what else are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of people doing that? Or do you still offer a paper uh, copy if you can? And how do you deal with things like punching your tag? If you're successful harvesting an elk, let's say, is that something you do on your phone or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, uh, what's great about the adoption of this new system in Oregon is that we've maintained our existing paper-based uh, solution, but we've given customers the option to go electronic or go mobile if they choose to. So we still have the paper option available. Um, it looks a little bit different than it used to. We used to provide glossy paper, whereas now we're, we're asking customers to print off their tags. Um, but the paper option is still on the table, uh, as people know it. But with regard to the, the mobile route, uh, customers will simply need to download the ODFW application, and then they will need to sync their account with their online profile. Uh, so essentially, uh, it will let the application know that, hey, you know, um, this customer has a hunting license and they may have an elk tag. And so uh, then that customer will go out to the field and hopefully they'll make a harvest. And when they make the harvest, they just have to tap the validate button on their application. Once that validate button is tapped, uh, the hunter will be uh, given a unique uh, set of numbers. And um, that code, if you will, needs to be written down and placed uh, or affixed to the animal. So uh, hunters will use anything from, you know, uh, a piece of tape or a, a receipt maybe, and they'll just affix it to the animal with that unique code. And that will uh, give our enforcement folks all the information they need to ensure that that animal was harvested in accordance with our, our rules. So it's, wow. it's been a little bit of a, a change to the muscle memory, but it seems like it's working well so far. And we have run into issues like connectivity, um, but what's neat is that our mobile app operates offline. So as long as customers sync the application in, in, uh, in an online environment um, so that the application knows who's using it and what products they've purchased, then when they pull up the application in an offline mode, they'll be able to validate that harvest regardless of if they're in cell phone range or not. That's interesting. And, and jump in here anytime, Sam. But one of the things I wanted to ask yeah. you, too, is, 
you know, you hunt in multiple different states. I know this. What would it look like if we have to run around with 50 different apps? Is there anything afoot that, you know, maybe we can consolidate these and, and there's maybe a national acceptance of an app that you can hold many licenses on? Is there anything like that in the works? You know, oh, so I'm going to take a step back and say that I think there's opportunity for innovation. And that's maybe why this podcast is even occurring, right? But um, just over time, you know, as a hunter myself, I, I've gone from buying foil licenses at age 11 and 12 and still have those. Um, my family still has them in our keepsake boxes around hunting, which, you know, that's a feminine side, but still we all have keepsakes. Um, until like right now advocating for a paperless system in our home state and trying to innovate um, how we buy licenses and how we get tags. And so what Steve just eloquently described is something that has taken a long time to build, a long time for hunters to adopt, but but readily so. And I think overall the accomplishment that the agency and the hunters have seen is a more efficient system to get outdoors quickly. Well, the agency is saving money and able to deliver on their, their mission to conserve wildlife and wild species in Oregon. So it's a unique thing that like we're trying to talk about here. And so as we look forward, we talk about, okay, we understand technology is an innovative area for us. Um, there's literally like NFTs and cryptocurrency being delivered as a new way to pay for things, right? So how in the world of tech and evolution, what does that mean for hunting, conservation in, in biology really? And that's where kind of like, you know, companies like mine, you know, Terra Technology Group and others in this field are, are looking and saying, what can we do better? And a lot of us are anglers and hunters behind the scenes. And we, we know what the technology requires. Onyx is another great partner to highlight here, too. And so knowing that hunters need to know where to get hunters and anglers, I should say, and wildlife watchers in the future, too. Um, they need to know where where to get the license quickly and efficiently one-stop shop, less barriers, as as easy as we can make it so that they can get into the field. And so as we look at, you know, 50 states, would we love the opportunity to um, connect all those systems together, respecting data rights and data privacy, but also empowering the agencies to manage wildlife populations by leveraging hunters and anglers as part of that system? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a conversation that's evolving right now. It's how do we help agencies embrace technology, embrace modern modern approaches as they evolve so quickly to make the hunter's experience on the ground and the angler's experience on the ground so much more efficient and easy. That's really where the conversation is. So I hope yeah. as somebody that hunts and fishes and, you know, hikes and bikes in multiple states um, to, you know, have one pass in the future, that could be cool. Um, I, could, I could daydream about that all day, but helping each agency make it easier for each hunter on the ground is, is step one, I think. And, and Steve, I'm, I'm sure, you know, knowing your state and everything, that's kind of you, been your focus is make it easier to, for people to get from pre preparation to the field and as least as le least steps as possible. Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing with the environment we find ourselves in, you know, with the continued adoption of mobile devices and uh, internet reliance. Um, we, we really didn't know what to expect when we implemented essentially another option to buy a license or to validate a harvest. I mean, we still provided that paper-based means of, of conducting that to our customer base. 
And we were shocked to see upon implementation of this new modern system that provided those options that overnight we had a 30% jump in our customer base that used the, the mobile or electronic means of, of buying their product. So uh, in the past, we did allow customers to buy their products online, but only about 10% of our customers took us up on that. Uh, the other 90% bought paper-based products, um, oftentimes at an agent. And literally overnight, we found that all of a sudden, 40% of our customer base you know, was interested in doing that with this intuitive online-based system. And of those 40%, uh, a large proportion of them downloaded the app and, and just took us up because I think this is more of a continuation of what's happening in other realms or uh, areas. Um, so uh, I was just amazed to see how uh, mobile and tech savvy a lot of our customers were and the proportion of customers that use our online website or um, now it's our app to validate their harvest has only increased steadily uh, in time. It's been really great to see. And That's to cool. add to that, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Uh, when I worked at the Game Commission in Pennsylvania, we um, harvest reporting rates were really important to the point that we created unique campaigns to try to encourage people to, you know, by statute they were supposed to do already, but it there were so many that didn't. It was hard to hard to enforce. So encouraging people to har report harvest, and if you look at the biological impact of that. That's important. When we build yeah. our models for wildlife management, we need to know how many animals are harvested. And and we have great biologists on staff to account for this, but imagine if, you know, we we did the full circle. We bought our license and reported even if we didn't harvest, what would happen? So like this is making that part, portion of that easier, which mm -hmm. really makes our wildlife management opportunities easier too. Yeah, and I want to get into that. One of the questions I have for for you both is, what are we doing with this data, right? Like, uh, and and before that, I think the the easier question, or maybe the the pre question, is uh, how are we how are you taking input from folks, you know, that are using this and saying, hey, maybe this works better or this doesn't work as good, and and how are you kind of figuring out, you know, because obviously when you first roll this out, there's always glitches. It's the nature of technology what's kind of the process for optimizing and getting better at this? And then as a follow-up too, how many states are doing this now? And is it just inevitable that everybody's going to do it? Steve, oh. do you want to start for Oregon? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a some great questions. And uh, in terms of the process for optimizing kind of our service offering, if you will, um, what, what I found uh, is that, you know, the Department of Fish and Wildlife is so broad. We have so many different uh, customers and subsets, and we're constantly receiving information and feedback. Uh, we're almost uh, overwhelmed with it at, at, at times. And so we need to find ways to uh, organize this information and this feedback so that we can make, uh, you know, actionable decisions off of this stuff. And so what we found is that we've paired our uh, new licensing system up uh, and we've synced that up uh, with a modern uh, phone queue uh, system for tracking our call center. And so we have a staff of approximately 20 uh, individuals that take uh, calls from the public to help them with anything from validating their harvest to purchasing a product or a processing a refund request due to a recent wildfire. And so anyways, uh, these customers that work at the call center uh, will document call reasons for each and every call. 
And then we will aggregate those call reasons to see frequencies, what are, what are the hot topics and the trends. Um, and then we will divide up those, those trends and those call reasons into things that are within our control and uh, versus things that are just inherent in the nature of the business and things that we might not be able to address. And so what's neat is we've been able to isolate some of the common call reasons, and then we can take immediate action on those items. Uh, from anything from not being able to locate a specific type of product in our product catalog online, we've been able to go in and quickly uh, reconfigure the interface so that customers can find what they're looking for to, uh, you know, sometimes there's uh, skill or information gaps, uh, things that we can address. So um, one of the common call reasons that we had recently due to just a massive boom due to the pandemic uh, in shellfish licenses was expertise and knowledge of where to be able to clam in Oregon and how to clam. And so once we saw these calls coming in for that reason, we were able to invest our internal resources to help provide and push a lot of content out there to help inform the public on how to do this and where they can do it. And so just recently through ODFW's YouTube channel, we've been able to post about a half a dozen videos on clamming that have been really well received. And we've seen a nice little downturn in, uh, in the amount of calls we receive from clamming. Uh, it seems like there's a direct correlation there. So it's been exciting. That's cool. That's cool. I, I think, you know, Sam and I certainly know, and I'm sure you do too, Steve, one of the biggest barriers for, for folks getting into it, right, is the, the regulations are often very hard to <laughs> interpret if certain states, it's like learning how to read an encyclopedia. Uh, so that that's a good that's a good thing right there that you just, I mean, I can't imagine if I was trying to go out and clam, I've never clammed before, I'd want some resource like that and would be really happy to hear that it's the agency themselves, not some, you know, who knows on YouTube, some guy saying, here's what you do. And who know who, who knows if it's right or not. So I'm glad to hear that. Sam, what about the, what about the national trends and how many other folks are using the, or states are using this agencies and kind of where this is going? Yeah. So I, I'm a geek when it comes to tech and data for a long time, as well as more is marketing and hunting. And, you know, some of the drivers of like my career and my experience and just working with people is getting more people outdoors. Right. And you just talked about one thing, digesting a, a license regulation book. So simply that, you know, from in one step, I need five licenses and I can hunt on these days. Right. This approach of going paperless and using an electronic system and, maybe even machine learning and other things to help help new hunters get out there is going to make that easier for people. And so, I mean, our staff is is pretty pretty broad in their experiences. We have hunters and anglers as well as hikers and bikers on staff. And some of them are also new hunters. And even as the people behind the systems, they're they're coming to the table and saying, okay, if I had a question, could I come through it? So you're, I think one of your original points was like, how do we make this better? We're trying to understand like what are the basic questions that people have in technology through user experience testing as well as like the call center is a fantastic example that Steve provided to just make this process easier and, and debunk the uh, rhetoric around it's hard to go hunting is really a portion of what we're trying to tackle here. And so if we can like give them a site, like let's say Amazon, they go to Amazon, they buy a license and they're gone, right? That's what we're trying to do. Obviously, we want them to go to their agencies, buy their licenses, and a couple quick steps, and hit the hit the road. 
they're either going hunting, they're going fly fishing, whatever have them. That's the goal here. So between the processes that, you know, our company is in, in invoking as well as the agencies and, and our, our competitors too, this is a theme that's going on right now. It, we want to make it easier to get outdoors. And so that's that's part of the pursuit. Now, in our, across the, the country, right, we're looking at a lot of regulations that have to change. And and I did some research like leading up to this and, and just trying to talk about it more. And there's there's state regulations that are set by legislature. Then there's also agency um, business practices, we'll call them, that are set by their commissioners or their board of commissioners. And so there's been a lot of shifts occurring recently. And as you know, the self-proclaimed proclaimed geek that I am, I'm kind of tracking them. And like everything from Alaska in 2018 that was trying to go more more digital to let's say Pennsylvania, which just offered their first digital hunting license this year. Um, Arizona has bills, Delaware has bills that were uh, either approved or are in flux. This is a national trend and it connects back to like modernizing systems, making it easier. And we already talked a little bit about the importance of the efficiency in saving the agency money, correct? But also the data analytics. And you said, we'll get into that later. There's just this like large portion that, you know, private business have always embraced that made them better at what they do, that we're just trying to bring to the opportunity for agencies to embrace. And states like Oregon are, are doing that exactly. Yeah. And so what type of, you know, we talked about this, I think a little bit, maybe pull it apart a little bit more is just what are the, what's the reluctance? Is it just folks not wanting to have to use the technology? Is there other things within that that are, that are present or is it mostly just that just kind of like I am old school, I'd rather have the paper license in my hand. I'll, I'll tap into that and use Oregon as an example. And then Steve, do you want to follow up? So I think some of it is reluctance to change. And, and as a person that lives in a blue law state, hunting in Pennsylvania with Sunday hunting prohibitions uh, in effect for a majority of my hunting career, I would say that, you know, there is change to deal with, but we can overcome that by taking the example that Oregon did. They gave multiple options. And we're working with our other states that we work with on the ground, like Washington and West Virginia to provide multiple options for people and that's part of the the importance here is that you know in with covid and everything we've been introduced to a period of time where everything was digital and intermediate and for many reasons like we didn't know what the pandemic and the disease would cause right so we had to uh respond on a pivot quickly to still fulfill our missions as agencies right and as our partners in technology too but at the same time it's it's accommodating your customers where they are and knowing the landscape of the demographics and but also knowing that people are coming into it that have never been here before you kind of have to be all places at one time and so i think agencies that are embracing it like oregon where they're you know you can have paper you can also report online you can buy in person if you want to they're they're accommodating all the customer types which is going to situate them for the retention and recruitment of new people into the future so it's that change factor. Absolutely. And I was going to say, you know, um, in Oregon, what's been really interesting to see is just the slow momentum in the building uh, in terms of adoption of this new technology. Like I said before, you know, when we first went live with this new modern system uh, from Terra Technology Group, um, just overnight, 
we saw about a 30% jump in utilization of the internet as a sales channel for our products. Um, but every year thereafter, when customers are faced with the decision of, do I want to go into an agent again or buy a paper product from a field office, or do I want to go to the internet? We've seen this, a gradual increase. So at first, it went from 10% utilization of the internet to immediately 40% back in December of 2018. And then every year thereafter, we've gained approximately 7 to 10% more of those customers to where now we're just over, I want to say we're in the mid 50s or so in terms of 50% uh, or so of customers that purchase uh, their products online. So I think that, you know, um, whether it's, you know, just maybe the common knowledge or maybe folks have friends or family members that are having favorable experiences, but we're seeing this kind of organic growth. And we've tried to reinforce that through uh, resources uh, on social media and online and, and at our agent locations and in the regs. Um, but I think just naturally, it's like this slow momentum building up year over year, and we just continue to, to grow in the adoption of this technology. That's excellent. I think we need to talk about a couple other things, and I should say that uh, I'll get there. I'm just one of those old school guys, but you know, I never thought I would use Onyx. I like my 7.5 minute topographical maps, but then you know, you fold them and put them in your pocket, and the where the corners are ends up being holes in there, all those different kinds of things. So we'll get there. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more too about you know the the data and how you're using it, and you know what that means for things like understanding different demographics and. You know, as Sam likes to say, the COVID cohort, which I, I think is pretty funny. And all the folks who've who've come along and began hunting and fishing or have, have started over again or come back to it. Uh, you know, when you when you get this data, how are you using it to examine those things and, you know, adaptively manage based on those those ideas? Yeah, uh, this is Steve. I, you know, I. Uh... I think we've been doing a lot of different things at the Department of Fish and Wildlife here in Oregon uh, with the data in our new licensing system. Uh, and we've also been doing things to supplement the data available in our licensing system, such as conducting surveys of customers to understand why they're purchasing products. Just recently, you know, with, uh, with the pandemic and uh, everything that's transpired as a result of that, we've seen a, just a, a boom in sales. Um, and uh, I think we've even been described as almost like a pandemic beneficiary of sorts um, because <laughs> we couldn't really describe it. But as soon as the pandemic set forth and uh, especially back in March of 2020 and April of 2020, our year over year sales numbers just started to steadily climb. And at first we thought maybe this is just customers buying their, their license early in the year. Uh, maybe there's some type of odd trend going on due to weather. But that momentum sustained itself through the end of the year. And then by the end of the year, we noticed that our angling license sales were up 20% over the previous year. Um, and so, oh, you know, we, we thought, wow, this is incredible. Um, we had in anecdotal internal theories going on, like maybe there's, you know, great social distancing probably occurring. And, and therefore, you know, this, this activity of fishing or hunting just lends itself well in this pandemic environment. Um, and I think that uh, there is less competition for other recreational activities, certainly. Um, but what we ended up doing at ODFW was we uh, invested in conducting a survey of approximately 50,000 licensed buyers, including 
10,000 licensed buyers that were first-time purchasers in 2020 during the pandemic period. And we asked them, why did you buy a license? You know, what are the primary reasons? What was your experience like? And we found out that stress relief was the top reason cited for going fishing or hunting. And mm-hmm. there was a, a, a real, a, a new subset of customers, younger customers, more diverse customers were purchasing uh, different products than our kind of our normal trends. So we saw big spikes in our fishing licenses as well as in our wildlife area parking permit sales. So we have uh, approximately 15 wildlife areas that are owned by the Department of Fish and Wildlife throughout the state of Oregon. And just the parking permit sales doubled. And so what that told us uh, was that we're they're probably partaking in uh, activities that might not be angling or hunting, but maybe things like watching, uh, watching wildlife, hiking, bird watching and so forth. So uh, we saw different trends, um, but we were able to take that data and come back uh, internally and invest our resources uh, in, in things to help inform our customers um, to clam or to uh, how to navigate these complex regulations. And so uh, we've really tried to take a data-driven uh, focus on our strategy setting. And I think that through the survey and through this big pandemic boom, and utilizing the sales data in our licensing system, all coupled together have have positioned us well to make those data-informed decisions. And now let's pause for a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Marsha Brownlee from Artemis Sportswomen. We know you love awesome stories about hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis podcast. You'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. You guys had a heck of a summer up there as far as heat and wildfires and and that kind of thing. And I know you have used some of this information to help do things like address area closures and things like that. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, as if the the pandemic wasn't enough, uh, and I'm sure this has been the the case for many other states too, uh, but we were just hammered with a series of catastrophic uh, ice storms to to wildfires. And uh, many of these events or disasters closed hunting areas entirely. And so in the past, we had a very responsive approach to to wildfires or disasters like that. Um, But with this new licensing system, we were able to take a very proactive approach. Uh, We were able to conduct outreach to many of our hunters due to some recent wildfires that occurred. And we would uh, adjust our messaging uh, such as like we'd say, hey, you know, there's a wildfire. The whole entire hunting unit that you drew tags for uh, is is off limits or there's no, um, you know, there's no public access allowed. And then we could proactively offer the customer either a refund or we could uh, allow them to exchange their tag for uh, some other equivalent or a general season tag if it was a controlled hunt tag that they were missing. And we could also facilitate in the reestablishment of uh, preference points, which are I realize may be unique to Oregon, but um, it's this mechanism to accumulate higher probability odds of being selected for uh, coveted 
hunts as time goes on. And so uh, all that being said, we're able to harness uh, this new technology and leverage the data to enhance the customer experience so that we weren't waiting for them to reach out to us to request a refund. Um, and, you know, but instead we were able to reach out to them and, you know, anticipate these issues and resolve them before they actually occurred. Well, that's good. And you mentioned too, that you, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about how this prevented a fee increase due to the savings that unpack that for us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a governmental entity, we're, obligated to have a balanced budget. And, uh, you know, obviously our expenditures have to equal our revenues. And so what's neat uh, through the savings that we've had with not only, you know, the paper, I think paper is a big part of that, um, but through some of the administrative efficiencies we've picked up um, through less of a need for um, resources in our call center uh, and uh, different other savings, but largely paper related savings, um, we've been able to free up some funding. So um, we've been able to either deploy that to our biological side of the house, so more biologists, or um, it actually decreases the need for us to have to request additional revenue. We can actually have a balanced budget and maintain fees where they're at uh, thanks to these uh, expenditure savings. So uh, it just helps us balance the budget a little bit easier and uh, fee increases normally are part of that discussion to helping balance the budget. But what's been great is uh, we've had some real downward pressure on our expenditures due to the savings we've seen. Um, so that's been, that's been great news. That is great news. I think uh, one other thing it'd be worth asking you about Sam too is, you know, what is it, what is it that has to happen for, for more States to do this? You know, what are the needs out there? Why aren't, why aren't other States doing it or, you know, what are the barriers? We talk about the barriers to entering hunting and fishing, but what are the barriers for agencies and other folks to start doing these things? The, the phrase that's coming to mind is the ode of a state fish and wildlife agency. And it's to do what they need to do with all the challenges that are pressuring them at a larger force. Um, most of the time, these agencies employ biologists and professionals like Steve that are committed to the mission of the, you know, conserving wildlife resources for their constituents in their state. And there's two different ways to, to look at this. You look at this as a active participant in outdoor recreation. And then you look at this as like your state legislature or your partners that enable your agency to do better work. So let's, let's tackle it from the partners that enable your agencies. Agencies are not, um, they have good people on staff. They're not hamstrung for talent. Where they're hamstrung or, or held back is in maybe less than, or more traditional, we'll say, more traditional regulations or less tech-friendly regulations. And so I think, as we've seen in Delaware, Arizona, Alaska, Pennsylvania, uh, and other states coming up, there's going to be some bills and or commission meeting agenda items that are working to enable the agencies to do business better. And that that's one way that, you know, as constituents, people can support. If they understand the connection between, if my agency does X, my license fees don't increase. And in fact, not only do my license fees don't increase, my agencies can conserve more habitat for critical species, or my agencies can open more access for me to go hunting in my local area. 
there's this larger narrative like at play there. And so those bills are going to come and those agendas are going to come and, and be delivered. On the opposite side of it, hunters, anglers, and potentially wildlife watchers and birders and hikers, whomever wants access to the outdoors, because these agencies really are the curators of that experience, right? They're going to be faced with emerging technology and, and changing, I think consistently changing and evolving um, technology as, as the agencies embrace this. And so on the consumer side of it, it's it's trying to adopt that and just be be supportive of the agency and ensure that as we go forward, we're, we're getting the embracement of making sure the agencies are really able to do what they need to do with less barriers in front of them. So that that in a in a twofold approach, that's a way you can support locally and nationally um, agencies doing their mission, which is really critical. That's why they've existed yeah. for over 120 years. So how many states are we at now that are using something similar to Oregon? We still pretty new in this, or I'm not familiar with exactly how many we're looking at. Well, that's a beating question because as a licensed vendor technology <laughs> <laughs> provider, I can tell you that five states okay. are going to be well on it. Yeah. No, I would say that in general, though, um, I think we're advocating for a future. We're not just advocating for other states to pick up our technology. What we're advocating for is is the ability for agencies to do more with less resources, but leverage the efficiency that technology provides them. And that's really where we're at. So if, you know, as we go forward and on the state level and the federal level, there's like the Mapland Act that's been going through as well yeah. as the SOAR Act. Those are federal efforts that are enabling our federal partners too. So it's not just like a localized issue. You're jumping the gun on my next question. I'm sorry. I just, you know, <laughs> it's a thing though. It really is. Um, embracing technology as government, like agencies is a challenge and, the more support they get to do that, the better off we're going to be as hunters, anglers, and conservationists. Yeah, and there's a couple of things. You know, it's three, you just added another one because I forgot about the Mapland Act, and, and that is basically for folks who don't know. It's it's about identifying, you know, landlocked pieces of public land and, and identifying opportunities to, you know, get access to those. In, you know, in a very uh, Cliff Notes version, but there's also let's let's talk about SOAR Act and then. You know, we wanted to talk a little bit about maybe in the future how this could work. Things like, you know, something we've been pushing a lot, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, and how we can utilize these tools to better implement those those pieces of legislation and just more optimal management. So maybe maybe tell tell us a little bit about a couple of those, Sam, and what they're what they're designed to do and how this will help. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna choose Rawa first. Um because I think Oregon presents a great case of saving money at the hunter's expense. Like they're not raising the price to go hunting, but at the same time they're advocating and, and trying to get additional resources. And just as every state fish and wildlife agency in the country to do more conservation work. And so we have a history in our space that hunters and anglers have funded the majority of conservation efforts on the ground. And RAWA, or Recovering America's Wildlife Act, um, is a bill that would allow people or allow funding dedicated to non-game and in, in, they call it diversity species. But really, it's just the agency's ability to do more management work, more conservation work, what they're designed to do, and not on the back of users. But it also provides lots of opportunity in the future, too, to engage other constituents to give a, give a crap 
for lack of a better word, about conservation, about wildlife, about <laughs> nature. And, and in time, you know, COVID in the in the rearview mirror, I hope, when we really need it. And so, um, you know, I, we've had some internal conversations. My boss very eloquently today uh, described conservation as nonpartisan and just said, the agencies are here to do one mission. And it's a nonpartisan issue of like enabling them to do more. So our, our efforts feed into making it easier for them to do it, connecting with constituents, saving them money, whatever, that, whatever have you. But on the other side of it, how do we help them do more, um, you know, with bills and et cetera? So RAWA is one example, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, um, that we're going to be supporting, FYI, um, in the future too. And, and just enabling these agencies uh, to do more because they're designed to do this. They're meant to do this. We just are a partner in the larger conversation of how they're going to deliver on that. But they are more than capable of accomplishing the goal that they were set out to do some agencies as long as 120 years ago. So as far as that goes, I can I can um, go on and on. But that that's really an, an aspect of it that we're talking about here. We're not just talking about making it easier for hunters and anglers to buy a license. If, if somebody walks away from this podcast and understands that, cool. But also you're missing the larger picture. What we're talking about is empowering conservation agencies to do their jobs better, to save money, to do it better, to address the millions of, of species that we need to, not millions of, of losses of uh, individual animals and, and try to conserve resources better. And so we're, I'm sorry, good. Yeah. No, 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 I'm just saying, I'm glad you said that. I think that's a, a, a good summation of what we're talking about here. And I, I, when I thought back on it, I didn't want to get lost on that either. Really, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, we're, we're here to enable agencies to do better work. And Oregon is, is one of many, but one of the leaders in doing that. And I'm glad you also mentioned uh, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, because as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, we saw this COVID cohort, as you call it. Uh, that also meant, you know, more impact on lots of species. You know, as, as more folks get out in the woods, we want them out there, of course, but that means more management needs and all the other things. And, you know, folks have heard me talk about Recovering America's Wildlife Act a lot on this and, and, and on this podcast. And it, it'll give the these agencies some resources to manage these other species that license fees don't naturally cover. And uh, there's a lot of species that it goes off of the state wildlife action plans in each state, which I think all states have them. Um, and this is where the agencies have, uh, you know, really tried to figure out which species are in the greatest need of conservation. And there's a lot of them. Um, and, and, you know, I think as hunters and anglers too, one of the things I always try to espouse and kind of preach on, frankly, is that we care about a lot more than just the species we hunt and fish. Uh, I know I do. I'm a birder. I, I love seeing wildlife, period. Uh, there, you know, there's a lot of species that I'll never hunt or fish that I just love knowing is out there and, and knowing that they're, you know, thriving. And, you know, I think that that's where we as a community too, of the hunting and fishing community can bring in kind of all people who like wildlife and it helps us, you know, shed a better light on our activities when we, when we do a little bit more of that. So I'm glad you mentioned that too. Let's talk about this other SOAR act. What the heck does that do? And what, how is it interfaced with this conversation? So um, in SOAR, SOAR represents a larger collection of bills, but essentially one of the factors of it is in the, why they're pushing it 
is enabling people to connect in in larger spaces, outdoors, etc. And so there's a lot of history there, just like with Rawa, but it's just enabling um, access to to land and in information quicker via that bill. I really think you know what we're witnessing between SOAR, between Mapland, between Rawa, you're re- witnessing a call on Congress at the federal level to modernize the infrastructure in which we have to work in to manage resources. And, and a lot of it is really dealing with the consumer interface too, which is important to keep in mind. Like the Mapland Act is, is getting digital access to information that's been locked up for a very long time. SOAR, one of the aspects of it historically has been to get more access uh, in a remote area so that, you know, we don't have to go offline to report a harvest, right? Right, Steve? <laughs> so like, it's just in general, there's a lot of things evolving. And, and COVID really, you know, narrowed a focus on this a little bit to say, wait, what? We can't do this while we're out there? No. But in general, it, it's this push to modernize systems. And, and as a technology provider, we're, we're right in line with that. But the agencies need it too, the federal and the state agencies. So the bills at the federal level, the actions at the state level are all examples of like why this is important and important to talk about. What's the acronym? What's what's SOAR? What, anybody know? No? Um, no, I'm pulling it up. I had I had my links open. <laughs> yeah, it's changed a little bit over time. So okay. we'll leave it there. <laughs> Sure. And we'll start with you, Steve, too. And, and I know we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here, but, uh, you know, what do you want the average hunter, angler, wildlife user, you know, recreation folks to to do and think about with, you know, what's the take home message for this thing you're doing here and, and how you want people to use it? Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate it, Aaron. And, and before jumping into that, too, I also just wanted to echo some of what you and Sam were talking about uh, regarding just the generosity of uh, some of these uh, the hunters and the anglers out there. Um, in Oregon, we uh, recently uh, established the Oregon Conservation and Recreation Fund, which had a focus on investing in habitats and non-game species. And our legislature uh, set a challenge for the department uh, and it, I'll summarize it as uh, essentially they said, if you could raise approximately a million dollars um, from the hunter angler community or through other means, then we'll match that with general fund dollars. Um, and so one of the things we did was uh, we approached Terra Technology Group, our licensing system provider, and uh, asked them if they could uh, add the option of submitting just a modest donation at the end of the purchase experience for, for folks who purchase items from our product catalog. And we were amazed to see, I mean, just the generosity, the outpouring of support from those customers that were buying the the annual hunting license and the annual resident license. Tens of thousands of them opted to to donate. I think it was on average $8 uh, per purchase. And I think that added up quickly over the last year and a half. I think we're at about $160,000 to $200,000 that have been raised via that means alone. So it's just been it's been great to see. And um, it really shows that, you know, it's helping us accomplish our mission beyond just game species and, and game habitat. That's great. Um, but with that, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, with regard to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And in terms of messages, takeaways, I just love to uh, encourage hunters, anglers uh, and, and others out there just to lean into some of the technology solutions. I think that agencies like the Department of Fish and Wildlife, uh, they are 
providing tons of patience and grace uh, and are, hope, are requesting it in turn uh, from customers as we embark upon this new chapter uh, with technology. We found a lot of hidden uh, positives and pros, efficiencies and cost savings as a result of leaning into this uh, new chapter, if you will. Um, and so I would say, give it a try. Uh, don't be afraid to jump in there and, and download an application or, or try to purchase something online. Uh, most times uh, the online experience can be intuitive and you'll be able to figure it out a lot faster than jumping in the car and, and driving down to the local uh, sports store. Uh, and so feel free to, to give the online route a try. And if that doesn't work out or if customers prefer to, to go to the store or get a piece of paper uh, for their product, that's fine too. Um, but we really want customers to know that we've got a secondary means of, of enjoying and recreating um, out there, and that's through their phone, through the internet, um, and it's, it's, it's working. So we're really excited about it, and uh, we're here as a resource for, for customers. So thank you. Thanks, Steve. I, I appreciate that, and uh, I hope that this podcast can serve as a little bit of a you know, a, a better way for folks to understand exactly how that's being used and how it's benefiting the, the hunters and anglers and the wildlife and that, that folks will, you know, maybe think, oh, maybe that is a good deal and I'll, I'll change my reluctance a bit. So hope, hopefully that's what happens. Sam, what do you want to leave us with? Uh, you know, we're, we're going to wrap up here soon, but I know you've always got some wise words to leave us with. What do you got? Well, so we'll leave a link in the notes to this SOAR Act, which is Simplifying Outdoor Access for Recreation. But it talks about the modernizing aspect of all of this, which we've been talking about a lot. Um, I'm biased. I come from PA, where I think most people know me from. That's Sam from PA. Um, our systems <laughs> at a common ground are evolving at the same time. Each state is going to deliver some sort of modernizing like legislation or agenda item and and change is hard um that that doesn't mean you should oppose change i think there is a, a period of time where you're, you kind of say i gotta learn a new system this sucks but we're also here um know that on the opposite side and i can speak from this now because i'm the tech provider i also worked on the agency side and in a couple of nonprofits in between and I'm a hunter. So like I get this in angler and outdoorsman, whatever, outdoorswoman, whatever. Um, you're, we're going to see changing times as Steve kind of talked about, and it's for the better of conservation. And so as you're faced with a new process, as you're faced with a new regulation, embrace it if you can, if not, I'm sure the agency is accommodating you and in, in making sure you're not losing, losing out, but it's going to be for the betterment of conservation. And, and I encourage people to have conversations about this, to challenge it, to discuss it, to get engaged, because the best aspect of conservation is when there's a hundred people engaged and, and not when there's zero people. So if, if this is something that really like turns your, your boat, please get involved and, and talk to them, but also make sure you understand that all the options that are out there, um, we're going to be, you know, in times of chronic wasting disease, in times of shrinking agency budgets, in times of, you know, changing climates, in times of multiple things that these agencies are going to have to deal with, if there's one thing we can make easier for them in managing data and managing these systems, like, why not? And so <laughs> I welcome conversation about that. Um, 
I think it's a a thing to be conversed about, to be honest with you, because it impacts experiences and it impacts culture too. And that's not to be dismissed. But at the same time, the ultimate thing is to allow these agencies to deliver on the missions of conserving wildlife resources. And that's that's as hunters, as anglers, as sportsmen and women. It's really why we're here. And so from the, the consumer perspective, I encourage you to think of, get involved. Indeed. And uh, thanks, Sam. That sums it up well. And you're one of the best ambassadors out there for, for our traditions and our the things we love and conservation. So thank you for that, too. And, you know, I, I've enjoyed watching as you've kind of moved along in your career and you're doing always the next best cool thing. And that's really cool to see. And thank you for all you're doing. And uh, Steve, thank you. You guys are innovating out there. And I love seeing this and hearing what you're doing and, and how it's helping better manage. And, you know, you guys, I know you had a heck of a year last year, as you said, just with Mother Nature and how, how this is even helping that. So I know we'll see more of this. And I know uh, folks like both of you will be leading the way. And I appreciate your time today. And if you want to, if you want any other parting shouts, now's the time to do it. Um, just wanted to say thanks for having us here today, Aaron. It's been an honor and a privilege. And uh, anytime, uh, I'd be happy to come back anytime and uh, really enjoyed it. So thanks for, thanks for having us. Welcome. Sam? Thanks for ODFW and all of our agencies for allowing us the space to innovate. Awesome. And we'll put uh, links to some of this information in the show notes. As, as Sam said, the SORAC, the Oregon uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife and, and whatever else we can dig up and happy trails to you too. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Amen. Have a great day. Good luck hunting y'all. Thank you. Thank you. We are NWF Outdoors.